Well, please take out your Bibles uh, and let's turn to the Old Testament this morning. The Old Testament to the book of 1 Samuel. We're turning to the 20th chapter of 1 Samuel. Uh, and this is an uh, emotionally charged passage that we're looking into. It's, it's, a, it's a beautiful promise that's made between uh, two men, one named Jonathan and one named David. Now, David was this huge character uh, in the Old Testament. He's known as the gold standard, you could say, for the kings of Israel. Uh, he wrote many psalms, which we still read and sing today. But what's most notable about David was that he is the, he is the, the ancestor of someone named Jesus, Jesus Christ. If you look at the chronology, uh, David is Jesus' great, 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 a few more greats, grandfather. About a thousand years separates the two of them. And what's interesting is when Jesus walked the earth, uh, people would cry out to him and say things like, uh, Son of David, have mercy on me. And so now we turn to 1 Samuel chapter 20. And just to set up the text for this morning, we're looking at this promise. And, and what's happening, if you read some of the headings surrounding uh, this text in your Bible, you probably see in chapter 19, Saul tries to kill David, or, or something like that. And so David, he's going to Jonathan, who's the son of Saul, and he's also David's closest friend. And he's going to Jonathan and saying, Jonathan, I, I can't go to your father, Saul. He's going to try to kill me. My life is in danger. And, and Jonathan's like, no, no, you're not in danger. I just spoke to my father. He made a promise. He's not going to kill you. And David's like, I don't think you understand. My life is in danger. I can't go to your father, Saul. And so they, they walk into the field together, and then we get this beautiful uh, promise that comes in this dialogue. So starting at verse 12. Then Jonathan said to David, I swear by the Lord, the God of Israel, that I will surely sound out my father by this time, the day after tomorrow. If he is favorably disposed towards you, will I not send you word and let you know? But if my father intends you harm, intends to harm you, may the Lord deal with Jonathan, be it ever so severely. But if I do not let you know and send you away in peace, may the Lord be with you as he has been with my father. And here's the promise, verse 14. But show me unfailing kindness, like the Lord's kindness, as long as I live, so that I may not be killed. And do not cut off your kindness from my family. Not even when the Lord has cut off every one of David's enemies from the face of the earth. And so Jonathan and, and David made this promise together. And at this point already, Jonathan knows he's not going to be king. He should be king after his father dies, but he's, he knows that, that David has been anointed by the Lord. And so let's skip to verse 30 and see Saul's response to David going AWOL and, and running away. And Jonathan goes up to Saul and explains what's happening. And Saul says this, verse 30, And Saul's anger flared up at Jonathan, and he said to him, You son of a perverse and rebellious woman, don't I know that you have sided with the son of Jesse, that's David, to your own shame and to the shame of your mother who bore you? As long as the son of Jesse lives on this earth, neither you nor your kingdom will be established. Now send someone to bring him to me, for he must die. Why should he be put to death? What has he done? Jonathan asked his father. But Saul hurled his spear at him to kill him. And then Jonathan knew that his father intended to kill David. 
And Jonathan got up from the table in fierce anger. And on the second day of the feast, he did not eat because he was grieved at his father's shameful treatment of David. And now we'll turn to our text. If you flip forward to the second book of Samuel, chapter 9, nearly uh, two decades, uh, 20 years has passed from this conversation in this field between David and Jonathan to our text now in 2 Samuel chapter 9. And a lot has happened. We don't have time to unpack all of it. But what's happened in brief is that Saul is, is dead, Jonathan is dead, and David is on his throne. And we'll break that more uh, down as we go into the message. But let's read the text together, starting at verse 1, 2 Samuel chapter 9. When David asked, is there anyone still left in the house of Saul to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? Now there was a servant of Saul's household named Ziba. They summoned him to appear before David, and the king said to him, are you Ziba? At your service, he replied. The king asked, is there no one still alive from the house of Saul to whom I can show God's kindness? And Ziba answered the king, there is still a there's still a son of Jonathan. He is lame in both feet. Well, where is he? The king asked. And Ziba answered, He is in the house of Machir, son of Amiel, in Lodabar. So King David had him brought from Lodabar, from the house of Machir, son of Amiel. When Mephibosheth, son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, came to David, he bowed down to pay him honor. And David said, Mephibosheth, at your service, he replied. Don't be afraid. David said to him, For I will surely show you kindness for the sake of your father Jonathan, and I will restore to you all the land that belonged to your grandfather Saul, and you will always eat at my table. Mephibosheth bowed down and said, What is your servant that you should notice a dead dog like me? Then the king summoned Ziba, Saul's steward, and said to him, I have given your master's grandson everything that belonged to Saul and his family. You and your sons and your servants are to farm the land for him and bring in the crops so that your master's grandson may be provided for. And Mephibosheth, grandson of your father, will always eat at my table. Now Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. Then Ziba said to the king, your servant will do whatever the Lord, the king, commands his servant to do. So Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. Mephibosheth had a young son named Micah. And all the members of Ziba's household were servants of Mephibosheth. And Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem because he always ate at the king's table. He was lame in both feet. Now, it would be helpful if you kept that open in front of you as we work through the passage. But let's come before God in a word of prayer before we begin. Let's pray. Our Father, again we ask you in the, in the name of Jesus Christ that your spirit would be here and that it would be here in power, that you would give me the grace to speak clearly and accurately, and Lord, we pray that you would bring the truth and the power of the gospel from this text and that you would give each one of us exactly what it is you want us to hear uh, this morning. We pray this all in Jesus' name, amen. Well, dear congregation, uh, on November 22nd, in 1963, 
while, while driving through Dallas, Texas, President John F. Kennedy was shot and he was killed. And it's possible that even some of you here today remember uh, that day. The news shook the entire world and, and many people were weeping openly in the streets. People were crowded around car radios and, and televisions trying to figure out, well, what, what happened? How, did, how could this happen? Schools were, were shut down. There was rioters that hit the streets. And the big question that was on everyone's mind and the big question that was on all the headlines was this. What, what happens now? What do we do? You see, that's, that's the mood in Israel uh, as we come into our text, as we come into the book of 2 Samuel. You see, the nation of Israel had just lost her king. Saul was dead. And not only Saul, but, but also the crown prince. Jonathan was, was dead too. He was the heir to the throne. And they had both died in, in battle against the enemy Philistines. And so the big question that's on everyone's mind is, is, is this, what happens now? Who, who is going to be king? Is, is this the moment? Is this the moment when, when David rises to the throne? He's been anointed, we know that. Is this the moment when David seizes the throne? And the, and the simple answer to that is, is, is yes. That's the trajectory uh, that the book of 2 Samuel takes. It records uh, David's rise to the throne. But if you start flipping through the pages of, of 2 Samuel, you'll notice that it wasn't as simple as just taking a crown and putting it on David's head. No, it was a, it was a bloodbath trying to get the throne. You see, this was the problem. Those that were loyal to Saul, they, they crowned one of Saul's other sons king. And those that were loyal to David, crowned David king. And when in history uh, does two kings in the same empire ever work? It doesn't. And so there was a civil war that erupts in the land, and it lasted a long time. But eventually, through God's grace, David triumphed. And so David's uh, establishing himself as king, and he brought peace to the land. And there's this beautiful uh, picture in Second Samuel chapter 8. It records um, what it was like to have David as king. It said, David ruled over all of Israel, doing what was just and what was right for all his people. Life was, life was good having David as king. And so the dust had now settled from the Civil War. But the story isn't over. There's, there's still some housekeeping to do. Some of Saul's family is still alive. And we learn that there's a young son named Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth, Mephibosheth, Mephibosheth. I'm just getting them all out of the way. I'm going to say it wrong about a hundred more times. Just please show me some grace. It's a hard name. Mephibosheth. And as we see David's uh, kindness towards Mephibosheth, we're given a, a glimpse and preview form of the kindness of David's great descendant, King Jesus, to the great sinners, disgraced sinners like you and to me. And that's what we're going to explore this morning. This is going to be the first of two sermons that I'll be doing at Mercy uh, that surround the man Mephibosheth. And we're going to look at this one through the theme of, uh, of this. Mephibosheth, Mephibosheth, oh man, it's going to be a long sermon. Mephibosheth, part one, grace for the disgraced. And we're going to look at two points. First is the grace of the king, and the second is feasting at the table of grace. So the grace of the king. Our chapter opens... Uh, with David asking a question, 2 Samuel 9, starting at verse 1, he says this, Is there anyone still left in the house of Saul to whom I can show kindness? To whom I can show kindness? Now this is a, this is a backwards 
uh, question, isn't it? If you study history at all, you, you know that um, the first order of business when you establish a new kingdom, uh, as, as a new king, you have to eliminate anyone that might contend for the throne, who might try to steal it from you. But David here is an exception. He doesn't, he doesn't do that. In fact, he, he does the complete opposite of what any other pagan king in his time would have done. He seeks out the children of his enemy. And he doesn't just seek them out, but he wants to show them kindness. Now, kids, I'm wondering, what do you think this means? Do you think that David just wanted to um, get him a birthday card? Or do you think he just wanted to take him out to dinner, get him a happy meal or something? Is that what happened? Is that the kindness that David wants? No, that's not it. That's not it. What, what is all tied up in this word kindness is actually, is actually incredible. The Hebrew word here for kindness is hesed, and you maybe heard that before. Uh, hesed is, is God's overflowing love for us. Sometimes it's translated in your Bibles. You'll probably come across it. You don't see hesed, but you see something like he, uh, steadfast love or, or unfailing faithfulness. And maybe some of you kids have, have the, the Jesus Storybook Bible at home. Yeah, so there's a, there's a great quote of how Sally Lowe-Jones uh, translates this. We have it up on the screen. She says, The Hesed love of God is his never stopping, his never giving up, his unbreaking, his always and forever love. That's pretty amazing. And that's the kind of love that David wants to show to Mephibosheth. And what's interesting is this word Hesed, sorry, little tangent, but this word Hesed is so tied up in covenant. And that's what we saw David and Jonathan do. They, they made a covenant uh, together. And, and we have covenants today. Uh, if you're married, you're in a covenant. We're going to see a beautiful uh, example of a covenant later with little Eden being baptized. And covenant, it shows up all over the Bible. And often the way it's, it's talked about is how God has entered into relationship with, with his people. And what you see all through the Bible, all through the Old Testament, is, is God's people uh, fail, fail, fail. And God comes at them and says, I'm going to love, love, love you. That's the hesed love that we're looking at here. So what's covenantal love got to do with this story? Why does uh, David want to show this kindness to the house of Saul, his enemy? Well, David, he tells us, it's for the sake of Jonathan. And that's what we saw in our, our background reading. We read how Jonathan made uh, David make a promise. Do not cut off your unfailing kindness, your, your hesed kindness from my family. And David swore this to Jonathan. He said, I, I won't. I won't kill off your house. And, and this scene in, in chapter 9 is now David making good on that promise. A promise that he made 20 years ago. It's just a testimony of David's memory, a testimony of, of his faithfulness and his kindness to Jonathan and his friendship to Jonathan. So we move through the story. Verse 2, we, we find a man uh, named Ziba. We're introduced to him. And it's important that we take note of him, not, not particularly for this story, but he comes up later. In Mephibosheth, part two, he plays a, a pretty leading role. But for now, all we need to notice is, is two things. The first thing is that he, he's wealthy, and he has a lot of uh, kids, and he has a lot of servants of his own. And the second thing is interesting. He was once a servant of Saul. And so likely what happened during the course of the Civil War was that Ziba had switched loyalties over to David. At some point, we're not really sure. And now he stands before David. And again, David repeats this question that he's been musing about in verse 1 to, to Ziba. He says this, Is there still someone in the house of Saul 
that I may show the kindness of God to him. Now, stop there for a second. Do you notice the subtle difference between verse 1 and then when he's saying this to, to Ziba? The first time he says he's doing it for Jonathan's sake, and that, that comes up later. But when he asked Ziba the question, he explained that he wanted to show this heir of Saul the kindness of God. He wanted to show him the unfailing kindness of God. Now, this is not the main point, but it's a big point. You see, you see, David understood something here. He understood that it was entirely because the Lord, that because the Lord's kindness poured into his life, that he now was able to sit on the throne. This is God who initiated his love when he was just a young shepherd boy. He was a nobody, with a, a line with no credentials, and that's when God chose him and said, "You're going to be a king over Israel one day." See, God poured his love into David's life, and now he sought to pour that love into the life of someone who was supposed to be his enemy. Just pause there for a second. See, David's kindness here is just so instructive for us. So the story continues. Uh, he initiates this kindness, and he's rewarded uh, with an answer. So Ziba, he told him that there was still someone. There was a uh, son of Jonathan. And you can just imagine David like, what? Jonathan had a son? And he's still alive? The news must have just rocked him right to the core. But Ziba wasn't done. He, he keeps talking. He says uh, that this son of Jonathan was a cripple, that he, that he couldn't walk. Now, now this morning, we're jumping right into the middle of 2 Samuel. So we've missed something that the narrator has already told us about. Back in 2 Samuel chapter 4, verse 4, and, and this is what it says, Jonathan, the son of Saul, had a son who was lame in both feet. He was five years old when the news about Saul and Jonathan came, to Jezreel, came from Jezreel. His nurse picked him up and fled, but as she hurried to leave, she, he fell and, and he became disabled, and his name was Mephibosheth. So Mephibosheth, the cripple. Why did, why did Ziba mention that? Why did Ziba mention that? Maybe he was implying to David that Mephibosheth wasn't really any threat. He wasn't ever going to raise up an army. No one was ever going to follow Mephibosheth. You see, in the culture of that day, being a, being a cripple was, was not just a physical disability, but it was a social one. You see, cripples were shamed in that culture and, and excluded from the rest of society to be a cripple. Being a cripple was a disgrace. And what's so sad here is that this is not how it always was for Mephibosheth. This is not how he always lived. He was, he was born, uh, uh, when he was born, Jonathan had given this crown prince the name Meribel, which means contender of Baal or, or contender of the gods. He was, he was born to be a, a warrior. But then everything changed. Sometimes that happens to us. Everything just seems to be going so well, and everything just, everything just changes. His father and his grandfather die in battle. And what appears to have happened is he, he got a new name. He's given the name Mephibosheth, which means breathing shame or, or scattering disgrace. And so Mephibosheth was hidden away in a place called Lodabar. That's what we read in our text. And even the, in the name of that place is really telling it, it literally means no word or, or no thing. And so he's disgraced 
and he's crippled, and he's living in, in nothing town, in nowheresville, in the middle of nowhere, we would say. He was a safe distance away from the eye of David. And every day of his miserable life, he sat in Lodabar. He was an outcast. He was a cripple. He was a refugee. He was at the bottom of every social ladder. He was a story of, of riches to rags. And he lived his entire life fearing that one day the king would find him and kill him. And the story goes on. David sent for Mephibosheth. And can you imagine what that must have felt like for Mephibosheth? Can you imagine what that must have been like? I imagine the scene. You can imagine it with me. Maybe it went something like this. One day Mephibosheth uh, hears a knocking on the door. And he hears someone open the door, and he hears the conversation. Uh, we're the king's men. We're looking for Mephibosheth. Is he here? And as the, as the, as the footsteps of, of the soldiers go through the house, you can just, Mephibosheth's heart's just pounding more and more, and, he, and he's starting to fear the men coming towards him. And, and, and they come into the room, and he, and he cries out, what do you want with me? I'm a cripple. I, I'm nothing. I, I'm no threat. Please don't kill me. And they inform him, you've been summoned by the king, Mephibosheth. You're coming with us. Grab your things. We're going. You see, Mephibosheth was only five years old when his father and his grandfather died. He probably knew nothing of this promise that was made between David and Jonathan in 1 Samuel. And as he went before the king, we can picture him trembling with fear as he fell to the ground. This cripple from a line of dead kings a refugee who hid in the middle of nowhere laid face down before the man he presumed would kill him. He was totally disgraced. And what did David do? What did David do? Did, did he kill Mephibosheth as was his right as a king? No. No, we, we see in our text, David said to him, Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth. I wonder how he said that. I wonder how he said it. In our English translation, there's an exclamation mark there. That's not in the Hebrew. How, how did he say it? You know, maybe his tone was similar to the father and, and the, pro, uh, the, the father in the parable of the prodigal son. And he's crying out as he sees his son coming back to him. He says, this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and he is found. That's the emotion in the scene. You see, David thought that the line of Jonathan was, was dead. He thought it was over, but it wasn't. Right before him stands Mephibosheth, and face down before him, and, and he just cries out, Mephibosheth! And he replies, at your service. Another translation is, behold, I am your servant. I'll do anything you want. And then David spoke these life-changing words to Mephibosheth. He said this, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid, for I will surely show you kindness for the sake of your father Jonathan. I will restore to you all the land that belonged to your grandfather Saul, and you will always eat at my table. The overwhelmed by this uh, great reversal, Mephibosheth then says uh, to David in the next verse, What is your servant that you should notice 
a dead dog like me. Dead dog like me. You see, he understood his disgrace and his unworthiness, and he was overwhelmed by the kindness of the king. So here's the thing for us this morning. This, this is also a gospel story about you and me. You see, we're really no different. What we need to realize this morning is that we are all Mephibosheth. I'm Mephibosheth. You're Mephibosheth. You're Mephibosheth. You're Mephibosheth. The story reflects the story of the whole world. Think of it like this. In Genesis 1, God created Adam and Eve. He created our first parents. And he crowned them as the, as the king and as the queen, his representatives to rule over the whole world and, and to subdue it. And as their descendants, that's us, as their descendants, we, we were in line to share in that throne and in that privilege. But then the, the fall into sin happened, right? Adam and Eve, they rebelled against God. They wanted to do things their own way. They wanted to live uh, for their own glory. They wanted to live uh, not for God's glory. And so they went from, from riches to rags. They were disgraced and they were filled with shame. Fallen humanity got kicked out of the garden. And even, even today, the default position of every human being ever born is this, that by nature we're crippled by sin, we're disgraced. We're filled with shame and we're cast from the presence of God living in nowheresville. And by rights, we deserve nothing but the wrath and the judgment of the king of heaven and earth. We are Mephibosheth. But that's not where we stop. This is the great gospel reversal that's brought on by Jesus Christ. Romans 5 uh, outlines this so well. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. You see, the, the sending of, of Jesus is the king's kindness. It's God's tested love on display for all the Mephibosheths in this world. You see, it's, it's through Jesus, it's through this son of David that God's wrath for our treasonous sin is satisfied. It's through Jesus that our, uh, the crippling weight of our sin is removed. 1 John 4 Verses 9 and 10 summarizes this so well. It says, this, this is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. You see, there's, there's no room for, for self-righteousness here. There's no room for that. Religion uh, loves to say, you know, if you clean yourself up, if you do enough good things, then God maybe will, will be good with you. He'll, he'll show his love to you. But that's not the gospel. The, the gospel says in God, it says, while you were enemies, you were reconciled by the love of God. While you were enemies, you were reconciled to the love of God. So it's, it's really only this. It's only when we realize our sin, when we realize our disgrace, that we're just dead dogs, that we can fully receive the grace of God. I have a, a hymn that I pulled up. I think it's Casting Crowns, but I think it just highlights this really well. Who am I that the Lord of all the earth would care to know my name, would care to feel my hurt? Who am I that the eyes that see my sin would look on me with love 
and watch me rise again. But you know, some of you here this morning, you already know this. You make the same confession that Mephibosheth did, you're just a dead dog. You know your sins. You know that you're a disgrace. But here's the thing. You, you, You stay there. You have shame from your past that you just can't seem to get rid of. And you show up uh, to church week after week, hearing about uh, Jesus, hearing that he can take your shame and he can give you honor, but you just can't seem to get yourself to believe it. It's too good to be true. And, and, and now, I don't, I don't know your shame. I, I don't know what happened 20 years ago or what happened yesterday or what happened 40 years ago, what happened 60 years ago. I don't know what's been done to you that makes you carry shame today. But what I do know is this. What I do know is Jesus offers to take your shame onto himself. He offers you freedom from your shame. And hear me on this. There can still be sadness for what you have done. And there can still be sadness for what has been done to you. But your crippling shame it can be surrendered. And it can be given over to Jesus. You see, when Mephibosheth was confronted, right, with this, with this life-changing words of David, he made this confession, right, that I'm just a dead dog. But, but he didn't then turn back and go back to Lodabar. He didn't say, thank, thank you, but no thank you, David. He didn't return back to his prison of shame. He received what was offered to him, and he took his seat at the king's table. And the big question for all of us is, 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 will you receive that this morning? Will you believe that Jesus can take your shame? Will you believe that he can nail it to the cross? You see, David, he took Mephibosheth and all his disgrace, and he bestowed on him unexpected and undeserved grace. And Jesus can take you and all your disgrace and all your shame, and he bestows on you unexpected and undeserved grace. Now, if we just stopped there this morning, that would just be the most amazing story of God's love for us. That would be just amazing. But here's the thing. It, it, it gets so much better than just that. It doesn't stop there. This is, as the story continues, we, we see a picture of this. This is what's so incredible about this story. Dead dogs get to feast at the table of the king, at the table of grace. And, and we'll move through the rest of this chapter quite quickly uh, there's a fury of, of, of motion that happens as we, as we go in. Verse 9 uh, talks about how uh, David went beyond this promise uh, to Jonathan. He, he brought Mephibosheth into his home. He gave him his grandfather's land. He gave him back, uh, he gave him a place at his table to eat like one of his sons. I mean, this is the story, right? From riches to rags to riches again. Ziba gets called back in, and he's given some instructions and told that he's going to take care of Mephibosheth, he's going to take care of all of his fields, uh, and he agrees to do that. And, and what's crazy is Mephibosheth just sits there. He just sits there completely taken care of by David. The, the disgrace receives grace. He's, he's still crippled. Right? Like, he, he's still experiencing the consequences of what happened to him. That doesn't just disappear. But, but we're, what we see is that he's transformed from shame to someone who is valued 
and to someone who is loved by David. And you know, it's inter- interesting that this chapter ends with, with this reminder. Now he was lame in both feet. Now he's lame in both feet. It's almost as if, uh, if the uh, narrator wants to reinforce the incredible grace that has been bestowed on Mephibosheth. And all he could really do is tell people. That's all, all Mephibosheth really could do. He could just go tell people about the grace that he's received. He couldn't do anything else. David, David didn't need Mephibosheth. He didn't need him at his table. He didn't need him to help him with military campaigns or advice on how to run a new kingdom. That's not why Mephibosheth gets to sit at the table. No, he, he does it because he wanted to. He did it because God had poured his love into his own life. And he did it because he promised he would. He did it because he promised Jonathan he would. And see, God made a promise to us too. See, after the fall into sin, when everything turned upside down and, and when, when creation rebelled against him and became his enemies, God promised that he would send someone. Someone to restore honor. God promised that someone would come to the crush uh, the, the evil in this world, to dry up the tears, to restore what has been lost. And that's Jesus. That's the son of David who came into this world and he did what David never could have done. He did what, what David never could have done. He didn't usher in his kingdom by swinging a sword at his enemies. No, what Jesus did was he died at the hands of his enemies. And he didn't stay dead, right? He didn't stay dead. He ascended into heaven, and now he sits there preparing a banquet for us beyond anything that we can even imagine. And the question now that you might have is, is, okay, this all sounds beautiful. I get to receive the grace. I'm sitting at the king's table. What does that, what does that mean, that I sit at the king's table? Well, it means that you have fellowship with him. It means that you're uh, part of his family. You're, you're totally secure in his love. But you know, how, how often do we try to excuse ourselves from the table because we feel that we haven't done enough for Jesus? Or we feel like, you know, we haven't read our Bible enough or, or, or we haven't been patient enough. Or we're crushed by, by the guilt of certain sins that we just can't, we can't seem to kick no matter how hard we fight. And so we, we slide off of the chair and we turn to get off and leave the table. And Jesus, in that moment, he calls to us and he says, no, listen, you're not here at the table because of, of what you've done. You're not at the table because you're so good or, or because you do everything perfectly. No. No, you're here because of me. And the, when the Father sees you in your, in your sin and in your shame, he sees my sacrifice. He sees the sacrifice of Jesus. And so you are totally safe and you are totally secure in the love of Jesus. It's almost as if he's like passing the mashed potatoes to you and saying, listen, tell me about what's bothering you. Tell me what's got you so burdened down with guilt. Tell me what's making you so anxious this week. I want to hear from you. I want to have fellowship with you. Don't be afraid. Tell me. That's that's feasting at the table of grace. And that happens now. That happens now already. And what's so amazing is in inter- any, into eternity, when, when all this is over, when, when the world passes away and when Jesus comes back, we're, we'll feast with him forever. We'll feast 
in, in Zion forever. And it's going to be perfect, and it's going to be so awesome. And until then, Jesus is still seeking and saving the lost. We'll close with this. He's still seeking and he's still saving the lost. Just as King David sent men to knock on the door where Mephibosheth was, King David now knocks on your door. Or King Jesus now knocks on your door. Revelation 3, uh, verse 20 says this. Here I am. I stand at the door and I knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and I will eat with that person and they with me. See, Jesus, this is his mission. This is what Jesus came to do. He, he came to seek and he came to save the lost. He, he came to invite me and he and came to invite all of you to the table. Will you join him? Will you leave Lodabar? Will you leave your sin? Will you leave your your shame, and will you take your place at the table of King Jesus? Will you take your seat at the King's table? And if you are already at the King's table, praise God, you have nothing to do except enjoy his fellowship and, and tell people about the amazing testimony of, of how Jesus took you from your shame, he took you from your sin, and he gave you a place of honor at the table of King Jesus where you will feast with him forever and ever and ever into eternity. Let's come before God in prayer. Father in heaven, we, we thank you for this huge story of your amazing grace. Your blood has washed away our sin. The, the wrath of God was completely satisfied in your sacrifice on the cross. Once we were your enemies, but now we sit at your table. Jesus, thank you. As our hearts are, are open from this message, we pray that you would fill us now with your spirit so that we would realize that we are all Mephibosheth and that it is only by your grace. It's only by your grace in our lives that we now are forgiven and we are loved sons and daughters. Use us this week, Lord, to powerfully witness this testimony, this testimony of your grace in our lives. Give us boldness as we share this gospel of Jesus to our friends and to our neighbors and, and co-workers so that they too may be lifted from their shame and given a seat at the table of King Jesus. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.